uh, I wish you a good evening, all of those, those of you practicing in uh, the Buddhist religion. I'll give you some advice tonight on some ways uh, and techniques to use in meditation with techniques to help calm your mind, make your mind peaceful. Because if you don't understand how to calm your mind, make your mind peaceful, then your mind is weak or without energy. As long as your mind is not peaceful and is lacking energy, then it will chase after moods and sense objects. The Buddha thus gave gave us his us his, his disciples various techniques, methods for quietening the mind through meditation. The very beginning of meditation is to practice mindfulness of breathing, the, the in-breaths and the out-breaths. Everybody breathes, so it's an object that's very convenient and practical to use for meditation. Merely establish mindfulness on the in-breaths and the out-breaths. You don't have to force the breath to be any way, you don't have to force the breath to be shorter or longer than usual. Even though there are many of us sitting here together, try to imagine as if you're sitting just uh, sitting alone. There's no one else around. As you're practicing mindfulness of breathing, the mind will tend to run away, uh, stray away from the breath, and go thinking about all sorts of different things try to keep re-establishing mindfulness on the breath and when you have an in, when you are mindful of mindful of an in-breath then you can count one and if you have when you breathe out then count one just the same one in-breath one out-breath and then a second in-breath count two second out-breath count two another in and another out breath, count three, and count an in breath and out breath is four, another in and out breath is five. Having reached five, you could go back to uh, one again, after the fifth in and out breath, then the next in and out breath, count one again, back up to five. Having gone up to five, then maybe the next in and out breath count six and seven and so on and go up to ten then go back after the tenth in and out breath go back the next in breath out breath count one again this is a simple technique for establishing mindfulness on the breathing having practice like that if your mind is still not very peaceful, it's still very confused or agitated, thinking a lot, then try taking in a very, very deep breath until you've completely filled your lungs with air. 
and then let all that air out again and repeat this, do this three times, take three deep breaths and let them out again don't try and force the breath try and find a, a posture that is comfortable uh, alert but comfortable and find a rhythm for the breath that is comfortable if you keep practicing like this, counting the breaths up to ten back and then back to one again repeat the exercise the mind will gradually calm down and as it becomes one-pointed and peaceful then that that process of counting will stop all by itself and the mind will settle on the uh, will be mindful on the breath by itself as the mind calms down and becomes peaceful there will just be the knowing of the breath as there's an in-breath there's the knowing of it as an out, there's an out-breath there's the knowing of it the mind won't be thinking about anything else or lost in thoughts, proliferations just, there'll just be the knowing of the in-breath and the out-breath as the mind becomes peaceful and mindfulness is established consistently on the breath the in-breath, the out-breath then you might start to experience different things, different feelings within the body and the mind these experiences you start to have as the mind becomes peaceful um, for example you might experience uh, goosebumps like your hair stand on end feelings, uh, the body feels very light and at ease, relaxed maybe tears start to form in the eyes start uh, to shed tears maybe you have the feeling as if um, waves, like waves breaking on a shore within your body the feeling waves sweeping over the body and breaking on a shore or very very pleasant feelings, the body feels very very light, the body and the mind feel very light as if you're floating on air maybe even floating up to the ceiling and your body seems to fill the entire room that you're sitting in uh, in the language of the Dhamma these phenomena we call Bidhi there are five uh, different kinds of Bidhi what it means that when these different experiences of pity manifest in the mind it means the mind will be very content with the meditation object it will be interested in that meditation object be very happy to be meditating but the way to practice is to just keep establishing mindfulness on the breathing the in and out breathing the feeling of the breath as it becomes more refined you don't have to interest yourself in these different experiences of pity let them uh, take place by themselves but you don't have to make anything out of them when one experiences pity to its fullest extent these experiences one experiences completely the mind will be very 
firm and one-pointed in its meditation object and then it will experience sukha or happiness, pleasure. In the beginning of the practice that act of putting your attention on the breathing establishing attention on the breath that is what we call vitaka and that act of sustaining awareness on the breath you could say thinking or pondering about the breath this is what they call vitaka one is not thinking about other things, pondering other things one is just thinking about the breath, pondering the breath this is vijara when one is establishing awareness on the breath, there's vitaka one is pondering the breath, there's vijara and piti arises and sukha arises there's pleasurable interest in the meditation object and there's feelings of happiness, of rapture then the mind will be very firm and one-pointed on its object as the mind becomes more and more refined, mindfulness becomes more and more refined and the mind becomes one-pointed focused on the breath the actual physical feeling of the breath will subside or disappear and you'll be left with this one-pointed knowing with these five factors vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha and the final one, ekakada one-pointed or focused attention on the breath when all those five factors are present then for instance the mind might hear a sound you might hear a sound but the mind won't be bothered by that sound it won't go out to that sound this you could say the mind has become calm at the first level or the preliminary level of calm the mind will be very still and withdrawn inside itself with no thinking, no proliferation or wandering thoughts you could say that the mind of the meditator that has reached this stage is the mind that is practicing the path or maga it's a mind that is progressing along the path it's restrained and peaceful from all different sense objects, mind objects, thoughts the mind doesn't wander or stray off to the left or to the right above or below it's very centered, one-pointed in the middle of things having been like this in, in this state of stillness, one-pointedness for a certain period of time the mind will then uh, withdraw or come out of that state and start to experience thoughts and sense objects again when that happens, when the mind starts to think, to wander again or to experience different sense objects mindfulness will immediately be there to see what happens to see the mind as it starts to move you will see very clearly that if the mind moves out from this uh, place of one-pointedness if it starts to move off 
following a thought or a sense object, then that will be the cause for it to suffer in some way. But if the mind is able to catch catch itself as it starts to move off from the place of peace with a thought, with a, following a sense object, if it catches itself and then lets go of that, then it won't be won't lead on to any suffering. It won't suffer. If the mind is truly calm, then as it, as it experiences different sense objects and thoughts, wisdom or insight will see very clearly that these are the source of suffering if it attaches to them, and it won't let the mind attach to them. This is the benefit or the purpose of calming the mind because it provides a foundation for mindfulness and insight which will lead the mind to freedom from suffering or liberation from suffering. So practicing medit sitting meditation like this is the beginning of the practice which is something you should all uh, try to do and endure the difficulties or obstacles that you might face as you practice like this. It's quite natural that some days you'll feel more peaceful, experience more peace, other days you might be very confused, agitated. You should aim to look after your mind from the very first moment when you wake up in the morning to practice mindfulness and to develop samadhi and look after your mind at all times. If you don't uh, try practicing mindfulness throughout the day from the, say, the time you get up in the morning then you'll tend to be thinking, proliferating, imagining all sorts of things throughout the day and even if you come in the evening to sit meditation it'll be very difficult to uh, calm the mind down to get much peace if you haven't been thinking about or practicing mindfulness throughout the day and the things that are obstacles or the things which will make us uh, not peaceful they're, they're around us all the time, they exist all the time these obstacles or hindrances to peace of mind are, are in short attraction and aversion sleepiness and depression agitation, restlessness and irritation and doubt and uncertainty so to help deal with these different hindrances and help uh, arrest them from the beginning we have to use various tools in the practice uh, such as the practice of dana or generosity and renunciation and the keeping of precepts, sila or moral restraint the practice of spreading loving-kindness or metta is one technique for cooling the mind this can be a very important tool to support the practice of meditation and uh, support the arising of samadhi and whatever level of samadhi you can attain use that as the foundation or the basis for contemplating the three characteristics of impermanence, suffering and not-self. 
try and look after and watch over your mind from moment to moment and not let it get caught into any kind of suffering in as far as the practice of samadhi goes maybe in the course of just one day you might only be able to make your mind a bit peaceful just once or even only once in practicing meditation over a period of many days you might only experience peace just once that's quite natural in the beginning but don't get discouraged keep putting effort into the practice keep uh, being consistent with your effort so I'll give you these, these reflections just as a basic introduction to the practice of meditation for today I hope they're of use to you and that you understand what I've been saying that's enough for the, the moment for the next period if anybody has any questions wants to discuss any anything about meditation please feel free to ask focused on an object and become very very firm and one pointed in that object to the level of what they call apana samadhi then it won't think about anything else other than that one object during that time won't uh, experience any sensations from the physical body and even if it was you were to try and think of something else you couldn't during that period be completely uh, one-pointed the, the samadhi the characteristics of apana samadhi the mind is completely focused on itself and on, not, not, not interested in anything else at all he says if anyone feels they've experienced pity or what they call rapture these various experiences he was describing if anyone feels they've had some such experiences please raise their hand if anyone feels if they've seen lights or had any kind of experience where they felt very uh, calm, peaceful, very full the word he uses like full please raise your hand a few <laughs> Nasa, it's Kai Bao, it's Bao Mimai. 
Has, any, has anyone felt like being floating? The, the body very, very light, almost as if it's floating. Anyone experience like maybe the various limbs completely disappear from your, you no longer feel your arms or your legs or even your complete body completely seems to disappear and it's just left a kind of emptiness. Anyone experience that kind of thing? Mm. I'll just recap on what he said first before that last question. He said these various experiences, if you do have them, they're uh, like they're all very good and they they help keep uh, encourage you to keep practicing. These are the sort of experiences to be looking for as you're meditating. Uh, not to de get discouraged if you haven't had any such experiences yet, but if you do, it's good. Because if you are working with a lot of agitation, confusion all the time, then it can become <laughs> quite tough, obviously. Uh, there was a question just then about if you're very peaceful and then appear to fall asleep within your meditation and and yet at the same time there's still a awareness there then what is that, what's that? and the answer was it can happen like that, that it appears as the mind becomes peaceful it appears as if you're falling asleep but you don't completely lose awareness as when you enter deep sleep the, the, almost the physical experience is as if you're entering deep sleep but there's always a, there's still left there, there's still an awareness left there. He said it's like being aware within your sleep, and it's not not uh, it's not actually falling asleep. Although the the physical experience is similar to falling asleep. When the mind is very calm and you keep focusing on your breathing, suddenly, as if you are watching your body sitting there and the, the mind seems to go out and watch the body sitting and doing meditation. Something that watches myself. Since the experiences in the practice of samadhi tend to differ between people, there's no one set uh, way that these one experiences these different aspects of pity. Uh, the gentleman just described one one thing that happened to him. He seemed like getting very peaceful uh, mind, uh, say separated from the body, and was looking back at the body sitting meditation. That's very common. That happens quite a lot. And if that if that happens, you should. Uh, try and get skilled in getting to that point and then when you have the the feeling like you're sit separating your mind is separating from the body and looking down at the body or looking back at the body sitting meditation then when you're in that state to contemplate the body look at the body and start contemplating the three characteristics and that can lead to um, the rising of insight as you're contemplating like this, as if you're looking back at your own body and contemplating the three characteristics, 
you might have some kind of sign or in deep insight seeing the impermanent nature of the body seeing the body changing in some way and that that will give rise to insight or vipassana insight Yes, that's correct. If your contemplation or if your practice of insight, clear scene of the three characteristics uh, degenerates, if the level of calm of the mind degenerates, that practice, that clear scene of the three characteristics will not be sustained and instead of clearly seeing the three characteristics one will start proliferating or just thinking again in the ordinary sense. So then one has to go back to one's meditation object and re-establish samadhi, say recharge the mind or re-energize the mind because it's this energy of samadhi which supports the practice of vipassana and for that reason samadhi is a very important and uh, indispensable part of the practice These three words in Pali, they're Anichang, Dukkang, Anatta, which translate, uh, one way of translating is impermanence, suffering and not self. These three characteristics uh, can be found within each one of what they call the five candas or the five groups and uh, these five groups are what make up a person or a personality and one person has these five groups there's rupa which is the physical form vetana which is like all the feelings one experiences pleasant, unpleasant, neutral sanya which is like memory and perception Sankara, which is like all the thought formations, the things we think about, and Vijnana, which is consciousness, the actual, the mind which is conscious. These, they, this is like what the way the Buddha described a person, divided into these five groups. And these three characteristics, if you look very carefully, you can find them within all these five groups. And particularly in meditation, we concentrate firstly on the, the Rupa Kanda, the physical form, because it's very obvious, it's very coarse. Both our own physical form, other physical forms, other people, or even physical objects in the world. And one starts to look at these three characteristics, suffering, impermanent suffering, not self, in the physical form, either one as own, other people, or physical objects around. If you're contemplating physical form, then some examples of contemplating the physical form in light of these three characteristics. Physical form, say that this body, our body, is uh, something that's impermanent. 
it's constantly changing from moment to moment the body is changing in different ways and it's something that has a point when it's born into the world and it gets old and it dies and you can contemplate this back and forth in many different ways and see this impermanence of the body and because it's something that's impermanent then it's something that must inherently, inherently be uh, something that is suffering or you could say un it has an unsatisfactory nature because it doesn't last because it's always changing and it's something that's going to degenerate, to break up it's not something that's uh, truly satisfying it it's, must be something that's suffering and it's also beyond control beyond, it's beyond your control, you can't stop that process the fact that it's going to get old and die you can't control it for that and uh, so in that sense you couldn't say that it's a true self or a, a lasting self because it's beyond your control it's just something that ha it gets old and dies gets born, gets old and dies it's just an example of how to use these three characteristics to contemplate the physical body These memories, these different memories that come up, are things that arise and pass away. And so you can take them as an object for mindfulness. Just watch the arising memories that arise and watch them pass away. But if mindfulness isn't strong enough, then you won't be able to do that. When memories come up, then they'll stimulate further thought proliferation. You get up into all kinds of stories and imaginations and things. So to practice uh, mindfulness, developing mindfulness, so that you can see them simply in terms of being things that arise and pass away. If you have, for instance, say you meditate and you feel like smiling or laughing, then try and establish mindfulness. And if there is mindfulness, then you can see that it's just a condition of the mind or a mood, and see that it's <coughs> it's a mood that has causes, it arises and it passes away, and simply see it as a mood of the mind, not to attach to it. Is it to be mindful that you when your mind is very still and calm, 
no stops at all coming in at you. You are entirely blank. Just, just focus on your breathing. It just feels to you. Start mindfulness. If you're practicing mindfulness of breathing, then you are re recollecting the breathing. So you're not recollecting anything else, thinking about anything else. So if there is consistent mindfulness, then naturally all, all other kinds of thinking will stop. You could say this is a way of exercise or training the mind, just like when you uh, work out or physically train the body with different exercises and sport. And this is like to train the mind <coughs> You have to train the mind like this in mindfulness, train it to be mindful, and that's the way it becomes strong and vigorous. Practicing the four Brahmaviharas, Metta Bhavana, one establishes the thought, one wishes oneself well, wishes oneself happiness, and one wishes other beings happiness, or wishes them to be well. Karuna Bhavana, one establishes the thought that those other beings who are experiencing suffering may they uh, get beyond that suffering and also oneself if one has suffering one experiences suffering then the thought for one oneself to get beyond that suffering mudita bhavana one establishes the thought that if when other beings experience uh, good things or experience happiness in some way one uh, supports that happiness is uh, encourages it and is happy that they, these other beings are ha experiencing happiness and similarly with oneself if oneself has experienced some good thing some happiness then one is happy that one has experienced that happiness Upeka Bhavana is uh, say it's a reflection on the law of karma one understands that beings other beings, oneself and other beings, we all do some good karma, sometimes we do, maybe we do bad karma and have to re reap the results, experience the results of that karma, good and bad karma. One understands that all beings are the owners of their karma, they're the heirs of their karma. Karma is their refuge, they can't get beyond the, the results of their karma, they have to experience all the, the fruits, the results of their karma. So one understands that and uh, say one makes one's mind peaceful uh, within that understanding so that as one sees other beings experiencing the fruits of their karma, good and bad karma, one isn't disturbed one has a sense of peace within that Do you understand? Is that 
condition uh, longer and the condition longer that is a relationship with the uh, with the sealer Sati is a conditioned phenomenon, it's a sankhara, it's a wholesome sankhara, punyapi sankhara. Uh, but because it's a sankhara, it still comes under the three characteristics. It's impermanent suffering and not self. But it's a very, very important dhamma, which is essential for the practice. It's the uh, restraining force on the defilements, on any kind of craving. Sati or mindfulness is what restrains greed, hatred and delusion. It's what restrains, uh, say, liking and disliking in the mind when it arises. If mindfulness is weak, then that restraining force is weak or even disappears and then the defilements and craving will start to have an effect on the mind and even in one's speech, one's actions. So it's a very, very important Dhamma. <coughs> answer the question? Um, in order to strengthen mindfulness, uh, but Sati and Sila help each other, they support each other. If one has the intention to keep Sila or to be morally the moral life, that's a sign that there is a right view in the mind when there's that intention there, right view or samaditi. If there's right view then there will be effort towards right speech, right action, right livelihood. And uh, these various factors of the Eightfold Noble Path, they all work together, they help each other. So whenever there's Samaditi, then it will be giving rise to, as I said, Samawaja, Samagamata, Samajiva, and also Samawayama, right effort, Samasati, right mindfulness. These factors, they work together uh, say like you could say uh, Samaditi is the, the forerunner. The right view is the forerunner of these other factors so they're all uh, encouraging, they're all supporting the arising of the other factors as well. Each factory helps to support the arising of other factors. Did you have a question? about uh, Sati as a Hindriya or as a Pala or as a Bojanga, one of the practices of enlightenment. These are all Dhammas which 
in the practice of Satipatthana foundations of mindfulness they're all uh, you would contemplate them as uh, Tamanupatana Satipatthana one would contemplate any of the factors of enlightenment for instance uh, say Sati Bojanga or Wiriya Bojanga or Upeka Bojanga or any of the others one would contemplate them seeing that they arise and they pass away seeing that there is not a self in that uh, mindfulness as an enlightenment even though it is a factor of enlightenment but that mindfulness is still something that is not self still something that's impermanent if one attaches to it then it's a cause of suffering if these factors of enlightenment occur, arise and one attaches them to them one invests a sense of self in them then they're still a cause of suffering and the practice of Dhamma Anupasana Satipatthana or any of the other Satipatthanas is to see the lack of self in all, all Dhammas all phenomena, conditioned phenomena so even these very factors of enlightenment uh, in even these very factors of enlightenment one has to contemplate them in terms of the three characteristics so as to uh, not attach to them because whenever one attaches then a sense of self arises and that's a cause for suffering yeah, I might have, I might have say, uh, slipped up there. He was talking about not self. I think I said at, at any time, but he was talking about not self, seeing the not self in all dhammas. When the mind, uh, when the factors of the path, the eight factors of the noble path unify in a mind Sīla Samādhi Banya come together in the mind uh, it's at that moment that the mind uh, you could say makes the decision or makes the verdict, takes the verdict that these um, seven factors of enlightenment for instance are uh, things not to attach to or the very factors of the past Sīla Samādhi Panya are things not to attach to when, when the mind makes that decision uh, it doesn't it makes a decision not to attach then it is uh, it becomes independent, uh, free, even from these uh, factors of enlightenment, even from sila samadhi panya, it becomes free from all these things. The synopsis of what I said. So, one shouldn't attach even to dhammas one shouldn't see any form of dhamma as self
answer your question. That is, when you are enlightened, you don't have to attach the Dhamma to this because you have achieved the goal. It is for the others who are not enlightened, Dhamma is basically living. As long as one is still practicing, then you could say that these eight factors of the path or Sila Samadhi Banya, they're like a boat. And you're like somebody who's traveling, has to cross some water to uh, uh, a piece of land across the water. As long as one hasn't reached that piece of land, one has to uh, uh, depend, one depends on the boat. So one depends on Sila Samadhi Banya as long as one is practicing and hasn't experienced, completely experienced all, uh, completely experienced Arya Pala or the fruits of the Arya path, then uh, either in part or if one still has, uh, has not let go completely, maybe one has even let go in part but one has not yet let go completely, then one still has to depend uh, to some extent on that boat. It's only somebody who's completely uh, gone beyond the water or gone, gone to the further, further shore to the other piece of land. That's the only person who can completely let go of the boat. Sorry? It means the mind sees the truth about conditioned phenomena or sankharas. One sees the truth of the way they are. If one does some act of goodness, say one makes, uh, practices generosity in some way, helps somebody in some way, or consciously keeps precepts, develops the intention to keep precepts, keep sila, or practices meditation for instance, then one can dedicate the goodness that one has generated or spread metta uh, using that goodness as a basis uh, using a wholesome mind as a basis one can spread or dedicate that wholesomeness to other beings both beings who are still alive and beings who are dead if other beings dead or alive are in a position to acknowledge that and receive that goodness in some form and if your mind is say if the goodness you generate is strong enough then then they can receive some of that goodness there's a story Ajahn Chah used to talk about concerning this thing um, in his very early years when he was 
wandering around uh, the forests of northeast Thailand. There was one time when he was staying on his own in a forest, very remote, a long, long way from the nearest village, and he caught malaria, and he was getting weaker and weaker. He'd go on arms round every day, but it eventually got to the point where he couldn't go on arms round, so he was going without food, and he had malaria, so he got very, very weak and near to death. And uh, one 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 morning, actually, he passed out for a long time. At that time, his relatives back in his home village, a long way away, probably hundred, couple of hundred kilos away, I think. They, he hadn't been in touch with them for a long time because in those days there wasn't much of a postal system. There was no telephone, of course, and they hadn't seen him for a long, long time. And they assumed he died, so they all got together this day and went to the local monastery and made an offering of alms to the monks and dedicated the merit to him, assuming he was dead. And by coincidence that day was the day he was, he passed out. And when he woke up, uh, having passed out for quite a long time, very, very weak, but when he woke up, he felt unusually well, very full and uh, safe physically um, much uh, stronger, invigorated, felt quite peaceful, even though he hadn't had any medicine or any, nothing, he hadn't had any food that day. And it was such an unusual experience to, for his uh, physical well-being to suddenly improve like that, that he, he noted it down in his diary, the day and the date. And um, later on he recovered and later on when he got back his home village a long time after that, he asked his family about um, during that period what had they done anything and they said they'd gone to the monastery and he knew the day, the time that they'd made this offering and he often would recount this story as an example of how the act of a formal act of making an offering or doing some good act and then formally dedicating the merit of that act act to another being, in this case to him, and uh, you know, it really works. If someone sees that his father is in the uh, say, for instance, you have a dream and maybe see some relatives who have died. What you can do is do some act of perform some act of generosity, goodness, and then dedicate the merit of that to that relative. At the very least, your own mind will uh, should feel good. It should bring up wholesome qualities in your own mind. So that's good karma for you. And if that dead relative is in a position where they can receive uh, a transference of merit or receive the goodness, some of that goodness that you've dedicated to them, then they will, and that will also help them. On another level, you can contemplate it uh, in terms of the Dharma and just see that uh, your relatives, the people you know, everyone we know, we're all... Uh, a impermanent phenomena. We all have our time. We we're born, we get old, and die. And uh, they just bring that 
reflection into your own heart, having seen your, your relatives pass away, then remind yourself that you're one day you're going to pass away, so uh, to try and make yourself at peace with that thought. The question was, um, if we dedicate merit or spread matter to our living relatives, our, say our children, our offspring, brothers and sisters, people, does that help? Can it help? The answer is yes, of course. Um, any act of spreading matter sets your own mind up in a wholesome, with a wholesome mood, a wholesome uh, mental state, and that sets up a set of causes and conditions, and you could say the flow of your mind, the positive flow of your mind, or the wholesome flow of your mind, will, uh, in ways which you might not be able to see, will start flowing towards that person or persons who you're, you're dedicating merit to. The, um, the, your ability to help them, or the amount that you can help them or transfer merit, that will depend on each individual's various qualities and abilities. What is the significance of transferring somebody to the court and labor? It's already got a lot of merit. The reason or the importance of dedicating merit or spreading matter to other beings who are in you could say heavenly realms, higher realms, uh, devotees, gods, goddesses, celestial beings, even though they might appear to be already be very uh, beings with high minds, very refined minds, why should we spread merit to them? They already are, are very high, very refined, very developed. Well, spreading merit, uh, spreading matter, dedicating merit to these beings implies that your own mind is recognizing or accepting or understanding the very uh, qualities of mind which make those beings, that which give those beings a heavenly rebirth. The important one being what they call Hiri Otapa. Hiri is like a sense of shame and Otapa is a fear of wrongdoing, a wholesome fear of wrongdoing, not, not a, just a kind of blind fear, a wholesome fear of wrongdoing. These qualities of the devata or the, the celestial being, if one is oneself is uh, spreading matter, dedicating merit to these beings, it's like a recognition of these very powerful and wholesome qualities in those beings, and uh, by that it's like bringing forth these very qualities within one's own mind, uh, recollecting those good qualities in one's own, own mind, and so one is. Uh, raising the level of one's own mind. It's a kind of practice to raise the level, to refine one's own mind. The, uh, the Buddha actually taught to spread metta to all beings, what they call apamanya, without limitations, without boundaries. So that includes everybody, whatever realm, whatever their state of mind, good, bad, lower realms, higher realms, uh, animal realms, human realms, whatever, to try yeah develop that as a practice to spread matter in all directions to all beings. Um, whatever happiness one receives, one wishes other beings to be equally happily happy. That's probably the best way to do this practice.